good evening. Thousands march against masks and lockdowns across Europe. China challenges America. And a bill to halt solitary confinement passes in Albany. A graveyard for enslaved Africans is ignored by the Parks Department in the Bronx. And activists by activists say that Trader Joe's is not doing all it can to protect its workers from COVID-19. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, March 21st, 2021. Tens of thousands of anti-COVID lockdown protesters took to the streets of Germany, London, Austria and Switzerland and other countries as well. Many of the protesters in Germany were from far right government opposition groups in the United Kingdom. Lawmakers signed on to a, a onto a petition to allow protests to take place in the lockdown nation. In Switzerland, protesters held up a sign reading, vaccination kills. The demonstrations came as the city of Miami imposed an emergency curfew over what has been termed spring break chaos. And in New York City, a former FDA head says a homegrown variant of COVID-19 may be infecting people who've already contracted the disease and recovered. On Saturday, Governor Andrew Cuomo's office announced the city's first confirmed case of the Brazilian P1 variant, which, like the New York variant, may render vaccines less effective. And U.S. relations with its two biggest geopolitical rivals are facing severe tests as President Joe Biden tries to assert America's place in the world and distinguish himself from his predecessor. The Biden administration took an extraordinarily tough line with China and Russia this past week, with Biden referring to Russian President Vladimir Putin as a killer. United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken defended the United States from charges of hypocrisy by China's foreign minister. Just by definition, acknowledges our imperfections, acknowledges that we're not perfect, we make mistakes, we have reversals, we take steps back. But what we've done throughout our history is to confront those challenges openly, publicly, transparently, not trying to ignore them, not trying to pretend they don't exist, not trying to sweep them under a rug. And sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's ugly, but each and every time, We've come out stronger, better, more united as a country. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Chinese Communist Party official, uh, foreign affairs chief Yang Jishi, pointed to the January 6th riot at the United States Capitol as evidence of disunity in the United States. We do not believe in invading through the use of force or to topple other regimes through various means or to massacre the people of other countries because all of those would only cause turmoil and instability in this world. And at the end of the day, all of those would not serve the United States well. And that is a translator, of course, for Chinese Communist Party Foreign Affairs Chief Yang Jishi. The author of the book, turned film, Flag of Our Fathers, and numerous other books about China, including The China Mirage, is James Bradley. He says China takes the long game, that is, a thousand years, while the United States is bogged down on today's events, giving the communist state an advantage. Why are Americans asking me to change my behavior? My behavior is very successful. We're beating the whole world in trade. We're the number one creditor in the world. We'll have the biggest military within a few years. We'll have the largest economy. We've taken more people out of poverty. Why am I going to change my behavior? The key thing that 
China doesn't like is anyone screwing around with their sovereignty. The United States was one of the countries that went in and sliced up China. They don't want anyone interfering with their internal affairs, their sovereignty. So Secretary Blinken opens up with the single most insulting thing, which is touching on Chinese sovereignty. Taiwan, go back hundreds of years, it's Chinese. The South China Sea is Chinese. You know, these are internal matters to the Chinese. They've been saying so. They don't interfere with Black Lives Matter and the American prison system, which is full of black people. The Chinese don't go up our butt about it, and they would like the Americans not to go up their butt on their internal matters. I live in New York where I have regular contact with many people who were born and raised in China and came to New York. They're angry about what's going on in Hong Kong. Aren't there human rights violations going on in China that people should be concerned about as people in China should be concerned about black people in prisons? Fine. Let's talk about it. What are you going to do? There's 1.5 billion people. The emperor didn't like the violence in Hong Kong. Hong Kong would still be the double system. What's going to happen in the United States, if rioters get into the Capitol and throw paint on the walls and desecrate flags inside, I mean, real violence. We have surrounded our Capitol, you know, the home of democracy. I was in Hong Kong and I saw the riots and the emperor won't tolerate riots. So the emperor moved in. America could take a look at some injustices in its own uh, situation, its economy. I mean, do you know what the number one export of the United States is to China? What's the number one export from China? It's high-tech goods. It's iPhones and televisions and very high-tech. Number one export to China is trash from America, cardboard. Number two is soybeans. The American military, the last three war games has China beating America in just like that, quicker and quicker. We've got to come to a new realization. China has changed, Asia has changed, and America hasn't. Blinken looks like he's in slow motion from 1957. What does that mean for the U.S.? Do we then follow Donald Trump's America first way of looking at the world, which caused so much problems here? We have to open up the aperture and not go back four years, but go back to 1898. America went out into the Pacific. What has been our Pacific plans and goals? We are surrounding China with bases. That is a great idea in 1957. Right now, the, all the Americans, tens of thousands of Americans on aircraft carriers in Guam, Korea, Japan, surrounding China, Thailand, Afghanistan, those are all sitting ducks. War has changed. China can sink all our naval vessels within 30 minutes. We just can't be swaggering out there like it's 1957. Our economy is on life support. We're not producing things, but we're buying things with government funny money, and it's coming from China. Our trade with China is ballooning. We're buying more Chinese imports than ever. Trump didn't cut them at all. When Americans get that stimulus money, what are they going to do? Buy American products made in Illinois? When I listen to the American media, it's like China has to change its behavior. Like, we have a large military. We have a strong economy. We're the United States. We're a beacon of democracy. Where's the American free speech and American democracy? Why are there fences around the capital of the United States? 
These should be the concerns of Americans who are interested in democracy, not talking to the emperor about his goals. Where is this all heading? Taiwan can be reunited peacefully with China or America can choose war. The war games that America is doing says that we'll lose that war real quickly. So does America want to incinerate its troops in Okinawa and South Korea and on aircraft carriers? Read my books. You'll see the history of Taiwan. You'll see it was China for centuries. Do you see potential for military conflict with China? You know, I have a podcast you can get to if you go to jamesbradley.com. And I've interviewed national security experts who say it is the long-term civilian intention of the United States government to prepare for war with China, which they think is inevitable. And you can listen to the experts on my podcast say that, yes, that is America's preparing forward basis. That's why we have our troops out in Asia for that war. It sounds crazy, but about 50% of your taxes, Paul, are going to pay for that. Everybody has nuclear weapons. They can't have a war. It's America's choice. Emperor Mao made China one. Emperor Deng made China rich. And Emperor Xi wants to make China whole. Taiwan is the key. For emperors over thousands of years, and the guys in control of China right now thinking thousands of years from now, they want to be the team that makes China whole. China doesn't want Hawaii. It's not going to take the Philippines. But Taiwan is part of China in their mind. You need an enemy. If 50% of your economy is a war economy, you need enemies. And the Army has Russia, and the Navy needs China. James Bradley is author of numerous books on East Asia, including Flags of Our Fathers, which was made into a movie, and The China Mirage. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Today, there was a celebration and rally in response to the passage of the Halt Solitary Confinement Act by the New York legislature and to demand that Governor Andrew Cuomo sign the bill immediately to end the immoral and racist torture of solitary confinement. The rally was held at Cuomo's New York City office and in Albany. Solitary confinement is torture. People are mostly sent to solitary confinement for nonviolent conduct, often for not following orders, but also as cover-ups for staff abuse and retaliation for advocating for basic rights. Solitary confinement fails to address and often exasperates underlining causes of problematic behavior as people deteriorate physically, psychologically, and socially. Lack of human interaction and extreme idleness can lead to intense suffering, severe lasting damage to physical and mental health. Solidary confinement is deadly. One in three prison suicides take place in solidary confinement in our state jails and prisons. For my incarcerated brothers and sisters, for their families, for the tireless work of the advocates and for the sponsor of this bill, I vote in the affirmative. And that was Queens Assembly member Marcella Matanis. The state assembly passed the measure March 16th and a 101 to 49 vote 
Well, it passed 42 to 21 in the state Senate on March 18th. Sponsored by Senator Julia Salazar, the bill limits the use of segregated confinement for all incarcerated persons to 15 days, implements alternative rehabilitative measures, including the recreation of residential rehabilitation units, expands the definition of segregated confinement, and eliminates the use of segregated confinement for vulnerable incarcerated populations. The bill also establishes guidelines for humane conditions in what they call segregated confinement, we call solitary confinement, outlines reporting requirements, and adds due process protections by prohibiting placement in solitary confinement prior to a disciplinary hearing and by allowing access to counsel. And Hunts Point in the Bronx is where the city's vast wholesale food markets are located. The South Bronx neighborhood has also been derided as an open-air brothel for truck drivers and has been depicted by Spike Lee as home to crack-smoking fiends. But in fact, it's a poor, struggling, and proud community with an ancient history. One of the few places in America where deeds, documents, land-owning, reaching back to Native Americans who were coerced into signing away their lands to European colonists. Hunts Point is also the site of a 17th century graveyard named after a 19th century poet with a secret, a burial ground for enslaved Africans. If the city parks department has its way, the burial ground will remain a secret. After students at a nearby elementary school discovered the plots, a sign marking the historical significance was erected allowed to rot away, and they're replaced with a sign that omitted the buried slaves. A former history teacher and curriculum chief for the Department of Education is Philip Panaritis. He lives in the Bronx. He says slaveholding was much more widespread in New York than previously taught. Percent of the 20% of New York, which was Manhattan in those days, was free or enslaved black people. One in every five citizens. The same was true in uh, the estates, in, the same was true in towns in Westchester. And in the Bronx, which was part of Westchester, the West Farms, 20%, the, the Morrises, the Phillips had a plantation down here. Morris had over 30 slaves. And how is it that we know so little until now? And the slave burial ground? Wishful thinking. It's, it's that we're pumped full of the myth in school that slavery was something that happened down south and bad people did it to them. Rep Butler did it to them. It's not us. Enslaved African burial grounds that have been discovered in the city. Of course, the most famous is is in lower Manhattan, but there's one up in the Bronx that you and I were uh, involved in researching and that you did a lot of work on. Tell us a little bit about the one in Hunts Point. The headstones are the white folks that live there who are memorialized with not only there, but in the streets, people like Fox and Leggett and Hunt and uh, Tiffany and those people. And across the main road at the time, Hunts Point Road, which doesn't exist anymore, we found all this through old maps, which you were helpful in. We found that the reason for it being across the road and not next to the masters was that they couldn't, they, the enslaved people, couldn't be buried in consecrated ground. So so there's a picture, one picture photograph of the Hunts Point Slave Burial Ground, as it was called. It shows the graves in 1910 and falling down wooden markers with initials instead of the stone markers that the white folks across the road had. It's in pretty bad shape. A street came through around 1911 or 12, Drake Park South, and they graded it all up. So in the process of doing that, either the street department or the parks department, which owned it, 
put fill on the cemetery. The markers weren't moved. There was no sign to memorialize them. And I heard about it and started asking and started doing research and going to the archives and getting wills and went up to White Plains, the county seat. And that was very helpful because it had census records with the number of enslaved people. And much to our surprise, because I'm a history teacher and had worked down at Tweed in history for the city. Uh, much to our surprise, everything I learned about slavery in New York that uh, differed from the South, and there was just one or two enslaved people in a family, and that uh, they would sleep in the basement or the attic or something like that. Now, that wasn't the case up here. There were little mini plantations. We found multiple, according to the census records, of course, no names, but just the number of enslaved people and the number of Indians they counted. We found the estates had 13 and 11 and 12 and 8. And so there was a significant population and they're the ones that made the estates wealthy. Twice a week, there was boats going down the East River to the market in Manhattan, bringing produce and bacon and wheat and the cows up here. The city really hasn't gone out of its way to really make a a point of it. I mean, there was, as we were talking about earlier, there was a sign, it was sort of faded out sign. It was replaced with a sign that didn't even have the right information on it. What does that tell you? I'm disappointed by that, Paul. And I I think it's, uh, unfortunately, it's consistent with the way that our work has been has been treated by the parks department from the very beginning it's been a bronx thing and the people in the neighborhood down there don't vote as much or give money as much which is why you have all the environmental racism and what is it 13 incinerators in hunts point because they can get away with it there could have been a sign and there should have been a sign and and they should have made the sign legible and they shouldn't have changed they shouldn't have taken anything out of it we still haven't found any descendants you know if there was a descendant community where you could say oh this my great-great-grandmother was one of the people here they would actually have a say in what would happen there and whether their bodies would be disinterred philip panaritis is a former history teacher and curriculum chief for the department of education a group of students at PS48, also named for the poet Joseph Drake, he was a 19th century poet who was buried in the White Cemetery. They were led by teacher Justin Zarka and others to identify several dozen people who may be buried near Drake Park by examining archive wills and newspapers. The 1800 census listed 44 enslaved Africans living in the Hunts Point area and burials continued at the site near Drake Park until the 1840s. And a popular grocery chain in New York and around the country released a coronavirus update last week outlining how it's caring for its workers and customers. The company says it's following CDC guidelines and state and local health advisories, but it's facing accusations of retaliation against employees who speak out about working conditions. The company is Trader Joe's. Mary Stephan Hagen reports. On a typical Saturday, the line outside my local Trader Joe's in Brooklyn wraps fully around the building onto the nearby plaza. Last time I was here, I waited over 40 minutes just to get inside. It's a sign of the store's continued popularity and loyal customer base throughout the pandemic. But in the past couple of weeks, two Trader Joe's employees have gone public with stories of retaliation against them. Ben Bonema worked in a store here on the Upper West Side. A couple of weeks ago, he wrote to Trader Joe's CEO. He asked the company to implement new safety measures around ventilation in his store. 
a COVID-19 precaution. After he sent the letter, managers fired him. In his termination notice, they wrote that his suggestions weren't aligned with company values and they weren't comfortable with him working there anymore. Ben posted both letters on Twitter. They went viral. Then he lawyered up. Trader Joe's ended up giving him his job back a few days later. Ben and his lawyer didn't respond to requests for comment. Trader Joe's released a statement afterwards that said he was fired for being disrespectful towards customers, but they also haven't commented on his rehiring. Over on the West Coast, another Trader Joe's employee has her own story of retaliation. I was a Trader Joe's employee who was fired for speaking up in support of Black Lives Matter and Black co-workers and Black customers. This is Sydney Satry. She worked for Trader Joe's in Portland, Oregon last year. Now she's suing the company. She alleges they fired her for saying the company was discriminating against Black workers and others who support the Black Lives Matter movement. She says she and other co-workers got negative performance reviews after speaking up about this. So I felt like because of management's suppression of support for Black employees and Black customers and then Black Lives Matter as a whole, that they were creating a really hostile work environment for Black employees, but also for Black customers who shopped there. At a store meeting with a regional manager, she gave them a letter about her concerns. She believed they were singling out expressions of support for Black Lives Matter as taboo. A week later, she was fired. The termination notice from her managers says it's because of this letter and what she said in it. It said they disagreed with her statements and that she clearly didn't support the company. Trader Joe's didn't respond to requests for comment on this. But Sydney and her lawyer say that what Sydney did was protected activity. That's the legal term for things employees can do in the workplace that it would be illegal to fire an employee for. Things like reporting discrimination or unsafe working conditions. Sydney claims that by writing this letter, she was reporting discrimination, which is illegal. So she says that Trader Joe's broke the law by firing her over the letter. But a number of other Trader Joe's employees who were fired during the pandemic are left wondering if it's because they brought up workplace safety concerns. They say that after they did, their managers cut their hours or otherwise treated them differently. Some were fired. Managers cited scheduling conflicts or lateness or customer complaints. Joshua Dade worked for Trader Joe's in Washington, D.C. He says he felt comfortable bringing concerns about COVID to his managers because they emphasized an open-door policy. I started speaking up more, then my schedule started to change, and then eventually my hours started to decrease. Joshua was fired in December after he took a week off. When he returned, his managers told him he'd never received the time off. Joshua says he had confirmed his time off with other managers, or mates, as Trader Joe's calls them. By the time I had left in December, my manager had told me to my face one day, I don't want you talking about COVID anymore. Don't bring it up in the meeting. Don't bring it up to the managers. And and I quote, this is a direct quote, do not waste the mate's time with COVID anymore. Alyssa worked at a store in Atlanta. Alyssa said she spoke to her managers a number of times about the store being too crowded. As soon as you were one of those people that was complaining, you were on the chopping block. After 10 years with the company, Company, she was fired in December. Managers cited a complaint from a customer as a reason. Al Gordon O'Connell is an employment lawyer. He says in cases like these, employees would have to show that the official reasons they were fired weren't actually why they were fired. Yes, bringing up safety concerns in the workplace is legally protected, but that's just the first step. So take the example of someone who showed up five minutes late to work, who was also happened to be complaining about uh, COVID issues in the workplace. The questions that I would ask would be, were any of your colleagues also five minutes late to work? Did they also get fired? How have they treated similarly situated employees who did not complain? And that's what we would try to do to sort that out. So retaliation is often very difficult to prove. 
But Sydney's lawyer, Maria Witt, believes that in Sydney's case, it's crystal clear. This case is striking to me because Trader Joe's doesn't leave anything to the imagination. They put it in writing in her termination letter that she was fired for expressing her opposition to her regional manager. Trader Joe's certainly isn't the only employer to face questions like this during the pandemic. The law firm Barnes & Thornburg LLP maintains an online tracker for COVID-related workplace lawsuits. It shows that workers in restaurants, factories, healthcare facilities, and schools are among those who filed suits for retaliation during the pandemic. Nearly every current and former Trader Joe's employee I spoke with said they loved working for the company. That's why they brought up their concerns. They just wanted to see the place they love do better. Mary Steffenhagen, WBAI News, New York. And thank you, Mary. Hundreds of people of all different races and ages laced up their sneakers and gathered at Union Square on Sunday for the Black and Asian Solidarity 5K Run and Walk. Before the run, dozens of people lined the steps at Union Square, silently holding signs denouncing the rising hate and violence against Asian Americans. The run was one of several events throughout the weekend calling for an end to xenophobia and anti-Asian racism. According to the group Stop Asian American and Pacific Islander Hate, there have been more than 3,800 reported attacks against Asian Americans throughout the country in the last year. And that's some of the news for Sunday, March 21st, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.